It's time for a change. Strap your headphones on and join Chris, Scott, and Sean. Three active duty police officers in the Chicago suburbs. As they face the tough subjects, including police brutality, racial tension, rioting, and more. Weekly, you'll get tips and tricks on how to keep you and your family safe, what to do during traffic stops, how to handle domestic violence, and more. This This is a show about about opening a dialogue, accepting that something has to be done, and bringing communities together again. And now your hosts, Chris, Scott, and Sean. Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of Three Cops Talk. As usual, this is one of your hosts, Sean. I'm here with Uncle Chris. Hey, hey. Who's joining us from Florida, by the way. Lovely Florida. Yeah. Um, and then uh, Big Sergeant Scott, who says he's got some privacy going here. <laughs> who's I'm not th- in Florida. Who's not in Florida, but he's got, <sighs> he says he's in the most private place in his I, house. So yeah, listen. He's going to watch this. Yeah, that's why there's no video of this. That's why there's we, no video. <laughs> we have wide. different definitions of a safe room. Make some sure people you, have <laughs> certain kinds of safe room. I have a different kind of safe room. And make sure you wash your hands after you're done with this. <laughs> so you know. Don't touch the button. It's a, hey, actually, it says employees must wash hands. You know, so, must wash like, hands. cops right now, we love the pity party because, you know, we like to believe that everybody's hating on us and, you know, things are going really bad. And you sit there and go, oh, man, my job sucks, particularly in and around Chicago area. A lot of guys are, you know, it's, it's tough. I mean, it's, you, you think it's tough because of the sentiment or whatever. And I would sit there and I go, man, you know, this is rough, but somebody's got to have it weirder or harder than we do somewhere. And a lot of times, cause we're in the Midwest, we forget about it. We joked about it on previous shows. Like you get out past the Midwest time zone, the central time zone, you forget about like things and you're like, Oh, and then there's California. Right. And that's all there is to it. Um, but you know, you always think like, well, you know, maybe, it, well, and then you think about these guys in the Pacific Northwest right now, like think about what they're dealing uh, with in those cities, Seattle and Portland and things along those lines. And you got cops showing up to work every single day to deal with stuff. That's literally like we're, we're about to, there's about to be a rebellion, right? Like we're going to actually be like, you know, right. this is, this is crazy. This is kind of some wild stuff. And I lived in Portland for a year and I really liked it. It's beautiful out in that part of the country. A lot of rain, a lot of depression, but once you get past, yeah, but it's great. It's great. Once you get Isn't past that on the license plate. Yeah. Right. Rain and depression. <laughs> um, uh, but it was a really great, like Portlandia was funny, things along those lines. But, you know, further north was Seattle. Seattle was the city, the consummate northwest city. Portland was cool. But Seattle, we were always like living in the shadow of the Space Needle. Space Needle. Um, Love that space and, needle. Uh, and, you know, Puget Sound was like the earthy country. A lot of people went out there. Actually, my uncle settled there. Jersey State Trooper ended up, ended up out there. But um, we talked to a previous guest. Like he actually moved show. out there? Oh, yeah. He, yeah. You, you, really? you got to get that far. When you're getting out of Newark, you got to get that far. I guess so. I mean, like, you know what I'm saying? Uh, but uh, does he work at the Space Needle? No, he doesn't. Um, he is actually, <laughs> he's the window washer, he's, he's happily retired. He's got, uh, like, he, I, well, he's a great dude, seriously. He's got like 20 daughters, I think. I lost count and I can't remember all their names. We got there, but these really opinionated Irish women that are like really like, wow. Holy cow. Like it, they're great people though. Really so barbecues are a little rough. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. But you know what? They're good people. Um, that being said, uh, I, you know, we've got some guys on the show today, uh, unless Chris, you and Scott got anything to talk about how much better well, well, you're forgetting one thing about Chris today. Oh, that's right. Oh, gee. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, right. Yeah, right, after okay. Ver- yeah. right after the vernal equinox, yeah. folks. The surgery it's, was successful. It's, it's <laughs> Chris, yeah. Appreciate that. Chris, <laughs> it's Chris's birthday, guys. Just so you know, it's Chris's birthday today. Oh, thank you. Uh, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. You don't look a day over 51 and a half. 
But today's it's, show it's beyond, beyond beyond the uh, beyond the birthday wishes to Chris. Today's show we, we have a couple of guys that were uh, recommended to us by uh, a previous guest we had, Andre Taylor. We've you know we he talked highly uh, about his interaction with the police out there, and anytime we get anybody that is saying they had a great interaction with the police. We really want to get involved and see what they're doing because I think they've got a good model. Once you hear what they did uh, with legislation that we're experiencing in other places in the country that are causing people to lose their minds. Um, but the two guys that are on the show today are both representatives of the fraternal order of police for the entire state of Washington um, or a good portion of it. Uh, first uh, there is Marco Monteblanco. Hopefully I said that right. That was my most. Well. Like, I, that I, sounds, I, I, that sounds you know really what I cool. sound like? Sounds, I, say it again. Mont Blanco. I sound like you know what I do. I sound like, like a leather. I sound like a weatherman <laughs> from Des Moines that's trying no, to appeal to the Hispanic population. Right, right. Like rip your sunglasses off when you say that. But he is a detective with the Kennewick Police Department. He's also the uh, president of the Fraternal Order of Police for the entire state of Washington. That's a big damn state out there. That's a lot of different cops. And the other guest we have is James Shrimpshire. I'm saying that right. We say shrimp, shrimp down here in Charleston because that's what we feed shrimp, shrimp, <laughs> shrimp. Um, he's chief. He's a good guy, really good guy. Uh, not your typical chief. He's the city of uh, Algona, which is a suburb Algona. of Algona. I say Algona because I'm from the Midwest. Algona. Algona. You park the cab by the window. Algona. Yeah, yeah, Algona. Um, but he's the West Side chief? GP. Can I get you some water? Uh, he's uh, he's the West Side uh, VP or Vice President of the Fraternal Order of Police. And the two of them are on the show today. One because they're great sports. We want to hear a lot of things from them. Um, we want to talk about what they did, obviously, with the legislation that was really good. But we also want to talk to them about because we're not we don't get out that way much, guys. We don't. We know maybe someday we'll you know. Like what is what is the airline out there? Frontier Spirit Airline or something out there that has the big hubs out there? I want to get out there. Alaska, Alaska's over here. Yeah, right, Alaska. Alaska, right, exactly. I want to get out there to see the Kraken next year. They're they're they're, they're <laughs> starting. They're seeing the Seattle Kraken is a new NHL team. Supposedly they got some big announcements to make. But Seattle's a great town. Um, we can't thank you guys enough for being on the show. We yes, really appreciate you so it. much for taking time. So, Marco, why don't we start off with you? Tell us a little bit about yourself, background wise, and how you got involved in law enforcement, and then eventually the fraternal order of police well it's 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 kind of ironic first of all thanks for having us and you bet and, you know, my, my journey to with law enforcement is a little different i uh, my uh, my family actually immigrated to, to portland when uh, uh my father did when he was a young adult and kind of grew up there um you know went to school um had my own uh, you know run-ins with law enforcement at times mm -hmm. you know and and just bad interactions and and um, I remember one day my dad told me how, you know, the best way to make change is to be involved in that change and, and, and make a difference. And what better way to do that than, than get into the law enforcement profession. And, um, you know, I, I, met a one, I met a wonderful woman uh, who I married, uh, have three wonderful kids and decided to apply to a police, uh, a, a peace officer position in, uh, in Kenwick, Washington. And I've been uh, with uh, the department for 18 plus years, almost 19, and I've uh, been in different, uh, you know, different, you know, positions within law within the department. But my one thing I, I, I really pride myself on is being involved with Fraternal Order Police. It's a it's a organization that is an advocate for peace officers, but they're also there as advocate for communities as well. 
Mm-hmm. And uh, it's something that we, uh, as a whole organization throughout the nation, really pride ourselves on. Awesome. Yeah. Well, thank you. I appreciate, yeah, appreciate that. Thank you so you much. Did. Now you, so you, you've done double duty then, Marco. You've gone from Portland, mm-hmm. one of the wildest cities in the West, to up in Kennewick. Where's, where now? Where's Kennewick for our listeners? Where's that in relation to Seattle? Which part? Of it? So it's about three three hours from uh, you know to, uh, to the east, uh, southeast of uh, Seattle. Okay. So is it, what's the terrain like there? Mountainous? It's, is it like, how does it break down up there? Yeah, there's, so where I'm, where I'm at is high desert. And, and then there's oh. a mountain range that goes through, uh, you know, you have to go, you drive over to get into the Seattle area. Mm-hmm. Okay, cool. Chief, uh, Chief yeah. uh, Jim, how about you? What to tell us a little bit about yourself. So, and again, thank you for having us. So I've been in law enforcement 27 years. I started in the Midwest, like you guys, uh, Sheriff's Department outside of St. Louis, Phelps County, Missouri. Um, He's legit, ladies and gentlemen. He said Missouri. For real, for real. He still says he's still secessionist down there. Exactly. So I I came out here back in uh, almost 20 years ago. Uh, My wife, who is also in law enforcement, uh, went to work for the King County Sheriff's Department up here, the the Sheriff's Department that uh, Seattle's in. Right. Um, I, uh, after a couple of years there, I ended up here uh, at uh, a suburb, a little quieter, you know, and uh, I've worked my way up to now police chief. Um, it's been a different, you know, coming from the Midwest, you know, everybody is pretty, you know, there's a good substantial way of doing things. And then uh, one of the stories I always talk about, um, I got, I came up here. My first beat was a rough part of town just outside of Seattle called White Center. And uh, if you ever do some history on the Northwest, back in the day, that's where all the bootleggers used to, they had tunnels in between the businesses. And that's that's where all the speakeasies were and all the hardcore guys. And so to this day, it's surrounded on three sides by the city of Seattle and they won't annex it in. So it's kind of a rough part. It was chop before chop was chop. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, you know, I, I came up here with, you know, learning how to be a cop in the Midwest and I parked my car in the alley and I started walking a beat. Sarge walks up to me and goes, what the hell are you doing? We only come down here when we're called. Right? <laughs> you know, and, I, and then, you know, here you go, you know, back home, you got somebody smoking meth at a bus stop. You stop them and you talk right. to them. Hey, what, right. you can't be smoking meth in public. You're going to jail. <laughs> here they're like, whoa, whoa, whoa. You can't do that. And I'm wow. like, so. And, and so I had my old boss, uh, he was out here for a sheriff's conference one time. He's riding along with me. He goes, look at that, look at that, look at that. And, you know, as we're driving down, I go, yeah, I know it's like fishing in a hatchery and you can't touch it. <laughs> and he's like, take me back to my hotel. He's like, take me back to my hotel. I don't want nothing to do with it. <laughs> now, why, why do you think that that's the mindset out there? Is that is that historical something you guys understand that the rest of us don't? Because we everything we see coming out of there is obviously sensationalized. Like it is like completely right. law and disorder or whatever. Like you never associated the Pacific Northwest, at least I didn't. And I lived there for a year with like the Wild West. It was more of like, you know, I don't know, the psychedelic West or something like that. I, I never really associated with that. Like what's the history there for that? Why that's so tolerated? 
Right. And I think it does ingrain into the history of how, you know, Seattle became Seattle. You know, after the Civil War, people came up to, you know, the Pacific Northwest to get away from the carpetbaggers and they didn't really like big government. and They, they love their freedom, you know, and then you had it just morphed into that that mindset that personal liberties and freedom are more important than, you know, the rule of law sometimes. And sometimes we have a tendency to go a little bit too far on things and and I call them head scratchers so and when those kind of head scratchers come across you know you either got to have a stiff drink or uh, just hold on for the ride you know and it's uh, we we yeah, have but a- you guys it just seems like you've been, you guys are on a downhill roller coaster the last year and it's just been I mean just like somebody lost a, the brake bar or something it's crazy Right. It's like, let's, and, and, you know, if you watch Portlandia, you brought it up earlier. There's all, there's an <laughs> episode where they talk about, Hey, let's, let's outdo Seattle. Let's right, be more right. progressive. Than Seattle. Wait a minute, <laughs> right. Seattle did that. We can't do that. And, right, right, you know, right. Back and forth. Right. And so right. sometimes it seems like that. What I will tell you is out here in the Northwest, we're 51st to include DC out of 50 States on cops per capita. So, oh, really? uh, yeah, wow. so we're wow. we're at the bottom of the barrel almost for cops per capita per one thousand. So we 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 learn to do more with less, and I'm very proud of the men and women of the FOP. You know, what I mean, because they go out there every day in these crazy crazy times, and they still put on a you know a badge and a gun, and they're out there doing their job. And do you, you know, think you know? Do you think like just by like you said, you know, you, you know. They, they see this and you're doing more with less and, you know, the, the cops for capita. Do you think like the people who make the laws and the rules and, you know, the, the policy, do they, do, do they comprehend that? I mean, do they, or do they just like, you know, whatever, uh, well, we'll see what happens. All right. So it, some, of, some of them, some of them are, they, they refer to themselves as abolitionists. They're trying to reinvent the wheel. They, mm-hmm. they imagine a society without law enforcement. Right. And they they think law enforcement is part of the problem. What I will tell you is, and Marco can allude to this, some of those same people, when we started this conversation, like with Andre and, you know, we're we're going on four years now with his group and some other groups, they were abolitionists. And now, you know, you starting to see um, op-eds in the paper a couple of weeks ago, one of those well-outspoken abolitionists wrote an op-ed in the Seattle Times going, hey, hey, people, we need to wake up. We we need police in our neighborhoods. We need to feel safe in order to affect yeah. Yeah. And so it's good to see that shift come back. You know what I mean? But it, it's because you engage with them. But you're mm-hmm. right. Some, I mean, some of these people, they they will look at you with a straight face and being the policy guy, and Marco knows because I'll, I'll call him at 5 o'clock in the morning because I haven't been able to sleep all night because I heard something really crazy or as part of some really crazy conversation where they told me, hey, you're not needed here. We can do it better with non-law enforcement, social worker. And I'm like, hey, I'm all for making our job just about public safety. But at the end of the day, somebody has to hold the line and somebody sure. has, to, yes. has to maintain law and order. Um, you know, uh, I hearken back to my day in the military I was in uh, Mogadishu, Somalia. You want to see what no law enforcement, no anything right, like right. that's how it ends up. And right. those kind of things is, you know, people sometimes go a little too far. And to your point, um, we we just went through a round of police legislation, 12 legislate uh, they call it police reform bills. And uh, that passed. I sat down with a lawmaker 
uh, you know, and they go, hey, uh, I think we might have went too far. How can we fix some of this? So we're starting to have those good conversations, you know. We're going through that here, too. We just had a big round of that here, too. And it was they they were looking at all this, all these this bill and all this police reform, but they didn't have law enforcement at the table to talk about some of this stuff. And even some of the people that were pushing those things have come back and said, eh, you know what, maybe it was a little maybe we need to back up here for a second and, and pause a little bit. Hey, Marco, let me ask you, uh, Chris, you got something? Yeah, no, I was going to say, so uh, how did Marco and, 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 and Jim, how did that, like, the whole thing start when, so when you and Andre got together and, and based on what the chief just said that, you know, a lawmaker said we're going too far, is that kind of like where it happened? Or how did you get to the point where you got Andre's group involved? Well, we, you know, we look at it, you know, from four years ago, how we – you know, we had this whole initiative, uh, 940, I-940, um, that was uh, dropped on us in regards to changing the, you know, uh, deadly force standard, removing the word malice from our um, our law. Um, you know, we realized then that um, based on our, you know, uh, on Washington dynamics and just, you know, the data that it would be important for us to be at that table and try to work out a solution. And that's what the FOP does. So, if you, if you don't know uh, the FOP, not just on a state level, but on a national level, we're a very solution-oriented organization. You know, we, we, we want to reach out to community partners and find solutions, you know, and, and, and so, um, you know, we took a different tact, you know, sitting down with our community groups, legislators, and, and uh, worked out some differences, talked. It was some very difficult discussions at times, but at the end of it, we were able to at least find a, a balance within the deadly force law that kept our reasonable officer standard. And, and that's what it was about. And it took a lot of hard work from a lot of people. And we have to commend our communities for listening to us on, on, on that issue when they didn't need to. Um, yep. And that just shows the importance of trying to build those relationships, you know, with our communities and building yeah. that, uh, those relationships of trust. Was yeah. that, was it, was the law made and then, you guys got together and did trailer bills or did it come out and then you got together? So, so we got to back up. So um, a couple of sessions before and out here, we have the initiative process where Mm -hmm. citizens can get enough signatures. They can put something on the ballot and make it law. And so, um, and so before the initiative process started, there were two sessions and this kind of goes to where Marco was talking about where, um, other law enforcement groups, we and us included, took a more traditional, hell no, we know what we're doing, leave us alone stance. And the community groups tried to change the use of force standard for two legis- two years in a row. And okay. they got frustrated at how the process was going. So they went and started this initiative process. So this initiative forced the legislature to uh, uh, have to change the law, right? And so during that process, uh, I'll give a lot of credit to a couple of lead legislators that called all the groups together. But, you know, taking that more traditional approach, the community groups really weren't interested in working with law enforcement. They just wanted to ram this new use of force standard down our throat. And when Marco talks about finding that balance, that what they were proposing in the original version of the initiative would basically be a very objective, uh, subjective standard that we couldn't train to and would not be conducive for any officer. And, you you know, when it's in the back of your mind, you guys know this, 
when it's in the back of your mind that, hey, am I going to get jailed for this? Right. Then right, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. Right? yeah. That being said, the flip side of that, we had one of the most stringent use of force standards for deadly force for officers in the country. Whereas in order for a prosecutor to charge somebody, they had to prove that they killed the officer, shot the person with malice in their heart. Right. And so that's really hard to do. And so what we were able to do, a couple of legislators put what Marco about 12 of us in the room, you know, community. Yeah. Andre's group was part of that. They took the lead on getting the initiative. And we had about 13 weeks of negotiating at the state capitol to come up with a compromise for the initiative, which was House Bill 1054, ultimately. But we came to... Yeah, 1064, excuse me. We came, we came to a, a consensus, like talking to community groups and just hashing it out. Then the legislature passed that consensus. And guess what? Somebody challenged it, how the how we did that process, and the Supreme Court threw it out. So we had to go for another legislative. So, yeah, somebody challenged this consensus that we all came together and worked together. Some uh, His name was uh, Tim Iman. He's a tax initiative guy. He's an anti-government, low, uh, small government guy. And uh, he challenged it, and the Supreme Court threw it out. So we had to come back the next session when we had to campaign side by side with community groups, which was great. And Marco can attest to this uh, for the passage of our compromise language to that essentially codified the reasonable officer standard for us. It also provided money for training. It required any rules around independent, uh, you know, investigation of use of force or deadly force to be negotiated with stakeholders. The FOP was named as one of those statutory stakeholders along with community groups, which it gave us a mechanism for to continue to work and build relationships with our community. So just, I, think, I think the important thing is on that too, is you know through that initiative process, they had plenty of signatures to go through with that. Just ram it and, down. And just, and just ram that, that new standard, that subjective standard down our throats. And so, the, you know, what, like I mentioned, you know, having the communities come more towards the center with us, you know, at times we, we have to recognize the importance of doing the same. And so mm-hmm. a, as, as long as we're protecting those, that, that reasonable officer standard, which we did, and when we come together to the legislature where, where we had, you know, community groups, ACLU, everybody on board, um, it, this, that, that, uh, House Bill 1064 passed um, with no uh, no one objecting to that standard, it, and it was a lot of hard work with everybody. And so when you get ev- everybody on board, it's amazing what can happen where right. where you put we right. can push legislation that just benefits everybody. Uh, and just well, yeah, because re- I uh, go ahead, Sean. To reinforce other points, you guys earlier said that you had the low, one of the lowest per capita officer to citizens. How many people live in the state of Washington? Do you guys know? Yeah, roughly roughly about eleven million. Okay, yeah. so how many officers do you have? In thirteen, the state? about thirteen thousand. Okay, so for like thirteen thousand is basically the size or size of the Chicago Police Department. Um, we have obviously, you know, our, our population density is a little bit higher, but for you guys to be that low in like power, like because the unions are power in the Midwest, at least in Chicago, they are like they like the CPS, the Chicago Teachers Union is like huge, huge, right. like what they say right. goes for you guys to be that small, that, that thought 
Um, that's huge to get that done legislatively. That's right. like that. I mean, you, how our government works is largely who's got money and who can pay for what and make people be quiet or go away or lobby or do whatever. You guys doing that with such small numbers is huge. Sorry. It goes in part where, you know, it's, it's being able to work with the community like Andre, uh, you know, Andre Taylor. A lot of people didn't want to work with him because of his past. Well, mm-hmm. here, here, here's our take on it. And Marco kicked me if I'm wrong, but our take was, look, this guy did wrong. He went to prison. He paid his debt to society. He went back to his community and tried to have a positive impact and be a leader. Right. Right. And correct me if I'm wrong. Isn't that what we want from the criminal justice system? Absolutely. Right. Exactly. Absolutely. So, so right. we, we said, you know what, we're going to set that aside. We're going to work with this gentleman and we're going to try, we're going to try to build a coalition to make these things work. And mm-hmm. so he was a real, real leader. Um, and, you know, those relationships just more from there. Right. And now they have the coalition for police accountability, which is a kind of, a, a micro, a, a, you know, a collage of community groups that came together and we meet with them to try to work through these issues before they become legislation and try to build those common grounds. And we could not have done that if without the courage of Marco and, 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 um, Andre taking those first steps together. Right. Right. And that's, and, and we have to acknowledge that we got to work together. Well, I think that's the whole thing that, you know, I personally, you know, uh, cause I'm still on the street. I'm in the canine unit. So I, I'm on the street and I talk to people and what I gather and what I see when we talk to people or whatever, is that most people want this or most people want the police and they want it to work where you have, I think you have legislators and um, media and, and just hyping us all up that, you know, that we're all bad and all this or all that. And, and I just think that, I think that's, that, that's total fallacy. I think people want, I think people want a spot at the table because I think people want to truly understand what I see, what, what you see. And, you know, I want them to know, see what I, and I want to see what they see. Like, and because let, let's all admit it, we can all do things better no, and throughout life. Whatever it is, you can always do something better if you learn one thing or another. And A, we have to be on board with making those changes. And I think we can't use the media as a uh, as a um, an avenue to get our word to the communities. I think I think you have to go back to sitting with the communities just like you guys are doing, so so they actually get the truth directly from us. And I think that's the only way it's going to learn. And also at the same time, you know, I think both sides are. 100% clear. Well, maybe not 100%, but I think we all are getting better as the police getting better at not just throwing stuff under the rug, like saying, hey, that, it was wrong. 100%. They have to answer for it. And then on the other side, they have to realize that, hey, so and so was wrong. They have to they have to answer for it also. And I think that is going to be that's a huge uh, stumbling block that everybody needs to get together and talk about. You know, I, I couldn't agree with you more on that. I mean, you know, it's there's, you know, we've always talked about, you know, in law enforcement, how, you know, when, you know, we have to have the courage to recognize when, when officers have committed, you know, egregious acts, you right, know, right. Um, and, and our communities need to say the same for people, for community, for community members who also, uh, you know, commit egregious acts. You know, and we and we can build on that together. But one of the things that the FOP really, it, it, you know, really focused on is, and, and just law enforcement in general. You know, we're 
we're always fact-based. We like data. You know, we want to, we want to make those decisions based on those two prongs, you know, and when we see in our communities um, that the, the majority of our citizens actually support the police, this defund movement is, is, is something that shouldn't be pushed. But on the flip side of that, uh, data showed that the, the majority of our community members wanted some type of police reform. So knowing those two things, um, we owed it to our, our profession, uh, you know, that we are at that table, you know, and, and providing that professional insight along with our community partners to try to find solutions. And that's really what it was about. Yeah. And I don't, and you can't find solutions if you don't know, if you don't understand nor know what the problem is. I mean, I, you may have one side that says, oh my God, there's all these problems, but then you sit in a room with the police officers and you're like, huh, maybe that's not a problem because this is what they see. And at, for us, we're in a room and they're like, Hey, you know what? It'd be nice if, you know, it, you know, if Chris took the dog out and walked around and let the you know kids pet it every once in a while, because that gives us a sense of, you know, or whatever it is, but you can't fix it. If you don't have the conversation, if you don't know what's wrong and you don't know what you're doing good either. Hey, right. Jim, Jim, have you, have you noticed from uh, having those community groups involved with that stuff? Have you had any, critical incidents or any significant incidents where you were able to get information out to those groups and it helped maybe um, calm down a situation that could have been something bigger? Yes. And uh, one of those was, was with the help of Andre. I, I don't want to get into what city it was, but we were able to back channel and we were able to slow everybody and, you know, things were getting hyper in the press and it was starting to shape up to be a, bad situation for both sides and we were able to calm things down and and Andre was a big help with that a couple of late night phone calls and be able to back channel and have those conversations and and just being able to have a little credibility and assure him hey this these things are on the up and up but you know I'm, I'm going to stake our relationship on it and he's like well that works for me and we were able to bring our two communities together to work that. But to you know, to your point about canines, so this is a great story because last legislative session, we uh, there was a bill to ban off-leash canine use here in the state of Washington, right? And the debt, and quite frankly, to uh, acknowledging that the data supported in in a certain side of the state, certain part of the state, that um, a good portion of the use of forces were off-leash canine bites. I mean, and if you took that portion of the state out of the equation, our canine bites went down to almost nothing, off-leash canine bites, <laughs> right? So that proves a, there's an issue. So you have to acknowledge that. Sure. Part of the way we got that out of the legislation, and we created a working group between community groups and law enforcement to develop a model policy <laughs> moving forward, that's where it morphed to, from banning to a model policy group to develop that to be, uh, you know, for agencies, it was having that communication and having that credibility and going, okay, we understand you've acknowledged that that might be an issue. And so because you're being forthright and forthcoming, we're going to work with you on that. We were able to get that legislation changed from a ban to a working group. You know what I mean? They're so crunchy out there. They're so crunchy out there. The dogs actually get to vote on that though. <laughs> Only in Marco's neighborhood, man. <laughs> so, how did you guys, when you were, when when you knew that this had to happen, how did it? Um, how did you choose 
the community leaders you're going to you're going to speak with and uh, and vice versa. So it, they kind of choose themselves, right? Okay. When you're when you're in a room with somebody that says, "I do not want cops involved," right? You know they're not there in good faith. Gotcha. And what that does, you put that on a showcase. Legislators see that, other community members see that. But when you come there and go, "Hey, we we're ready, we're here to work," you know, and you start that free flowing conversation, those leaders right. on both sides of the the discussion. And Marco will tell you, even on the law enforcement side, there's some hell knowers that really ended up getting pushed to the back of the, you know, to the side hmm. because real leaders are going to come out because they want to collaborate. They want to have good conversations. Right. And they want to solve the issues together. It just, right. you know, it, it was almost organic. I hate to use that word, but it was, right. you know what I mean? And it, you know, you're sitting in the halls of the Capitol and you're surround, around this table and you have the governor's office, you have stakeholders, you have legislators, right? You and, and all of a sudden people get up and walk out that don't want to be there, don't want to be a part of it on both sides of the issue. And then you have people that are there just wanting to make good policy. And that's what happened. And that's what started this ball rolling. And I got to be honest with you, it's been what, Marco, almost five years. We're going on our fifth year and you know, we continue mm -hmm. to have those conversations and try to bridge that gap, be that middle of the road voice. So that's awesome. Yeah, we've seen that. We've seen that from the, nine, the I 940, you know, uh, legislation to even this year with these 12 re, uh, police reform bills that, that were passed. You know, the, the Fraternal Police led the way um, with those discussions because of the relationships you build. And, you know, you know, there's always going to be people, you know, in, in law enforcement who really dislike having to change in any form or fashion. I mean, we see it. Um, but, you know, if you really look at it throughout history, our profession has evolved multiple times. Mm -hmm. And this is just one of those times. Yeah. And so knowing that we have uh, evolutions, you know, it, it is critical that we have uh, the professionals there to provide that insight, you know, to try to curb some of these, uh, these, uh, these things to a, a more central, um, you know, um, solution that we can all uh, be proud of that, that does strike that balance. Yeah. And I think, I, I think in the, the administrations are, are, are coming, you know, pulling their head out of the sand going, Hey, this is here with, with video and audio and, you know, uh, prosecutions on both sides and these law changes and all this other stuff. I think, I think more, more administrators are going, Hey, th this needs to get done. This isn't the 1950s or 1960s where, you know, Mr. Smith's not going to pick up the phone again, or, you know, or, or I think people are demanding more answers on both sides. You know, I think, I'm you know, but I'm definitely more, I'm more proud of the fact that, I mean, when I talk to these guys, I listen to this, this change came from the ground. It came from the guys. Yeah, they represent officers. Saying. They don't represent managers. They don't represent brass. They don't, re it's like, you know, I'm not knocking exactly those guys, but saying. in the same sense that they're yeah. in a tough spot. Chiefs and sheriffs are in tough spots. Sheriffs right. are elected. Chiefs are appointed. They're in tough spots. But this legislation came from the guys, like the, the guys, the, the people that do the work. Now, the question for you guys about that, uh, particularly Marco being the president of it. How do the members feel about it? How did it go over them? How do you guys felt that went with the members? So we're, we're very fortunate. We, we're very um, transparent with our members and we are a, a member driven organization. You know, first and foremost, we take our direction by our members. 
but as leaders in, in, in the Fraternal Order of Police in Washington, we have to, you know, have that, um, you know, lead by example and, and, and provide information on how um, and, and what we're seeing and, you know, and encourage, you know, some, uh, some proper dialogue uh, with, uh, you know, with, with our communities. And our and our members get it. They understand. They understand that hey, mm-hmm. we we are in a we in a different we're a different climate now, and mm-hmm. we need to be able to navigate through that. And you know, um, they they put their trust in 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 their leaders to to make sure that that happens, and while still having um, you know being able to you know have the you know the resources to do their job safely. You know, and and yeah. so they they've been very encouraged on on what we've done, and um, you know the members it, it's just showing because in Washington we are growing uh, at uh, you know astronomical rates you know with our organization here in Washington because okay. of the positions that we've taken and 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 most of our our members they 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 understand these evolutions and they and they welcome it yeah well i think that's that you know that that goes to what Sean you know Sean and I were talking about i mean you're getting a lot of this from boots on the ground pushing it up mm-hmm. um and then from civilians that are pushing it up and then they realize that this change is here and i think in my opinion, it is, um, especially since, you know, we started this podcast, I get, you know, we talk to a whole a lot more people and the change is welcoming because both sides are in on it and they both to get open to and, and, and discuss it. I think that's, that's a huge is part the, Is the national lodge, is the national like FOP recognizing this? Are they seeing this? Like, cause I, there's some places in this country that this wouldn't be popular at all. Oh, like, no. Uh, only, you know, I'm only going off my own experience. I've been FOP my entire career as a police officer till now, but I, I don't know if it would necessarily be that popular back in, you know, Chicago or maybe the Northeast. I don't know. What, what are you guys thoughts? Well, I think it's education, you know, first and foremost, you know, and I, and I, I, you know, you know, I, I see our national uh, representatives, you know, in the media and, and, and preaching the same things that we're talking about here, how it's right. important to be at the table. It's important to have those, fact-based data-driven discussions and be willing to have, um, you know, have uh, to, to embrace evolution, you know, mm-hmm. em- embrace change. And mm-hmm. that's what it's about. It's about being at the table. And, and that's the same thing that they talk about. And, and we talk about here in Washington, it's no different. And so um, we just have to be willing as, as an entire uh, profession, you know, all, what is it? 900,000 uh, officers mm-hmm. in this country to understand that we cannot do the same thing over and over again. It's 100% work percent. So we, we talked a little bit before we got going here about with the community groups. Um, so not only we're talking about it being part of us looking at things differently and changing the way we do things. Do you think it's helped people from the community realize more about what we do and why we do it and how we do it and, and understand some of the decisions that we make about the way we handle law enforcement? Yeah, I, I'll tell you this. Um, you know, some of these people that are, and I hate to say some of these people, but I call them friends now, you know, impacted families or um, community group uh, organizers. One of them came up to me and go, you know, I really consider you my friend and I want to hug you. Right. And, you know, six months before that, she's on the TV talking about the police need to go. And it's just about learning that, learning about that perspective. You know, um, I, I learned that, you know, one of, one of the community organizers 
is my neighbor pretty much. We go to the same grocery store, right? And Fred and I talk. He's, you know, and his 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 son was killed um, in a SWAT uh, standoff over a DV, right? And and you know, and just to hear him and his story, and then he hears where I come from. There's a lot of common ground there. We, you know, we're and so he's a I I, I consider him my friend, and so you know, it's, it's just. It's, it's, it's kind amazing. of, we have to solve things together. And to your point about, Hey, this might not be popular in, in, in your neck of the woods. I think you answered your own question earlier. You said you had some police legislation passing. You didn't have a seat at the table. Right. And so I, I think you answered your own question there. Right. And right. We, right. We Great point. Took our, you talk about the FOP being a national, um, you know, you guys know that qualified immunity, the first place that went away was in Colorado. So Marco will tell you one of the first phone calls we made was to our brothers and sisters in Colorado. And the one piece of advice our national trustee, uh, Rob Pride, who's out of Colorado, had to say to us, hey, engage your community. Don't be like us and not have a seat at the table. James. There you go. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, yeah. and, and it's wild is that when you sit where we're sitting and you watch what's going on in, in that part of the country, you just see nothing but, man, they must hate the police up there. That's what you're led to believe by these stories every night. The, the only story coming out of Portland as late as on the feed is, oh, that entire riot team resigned over something that happened from there. So that's <clears> the only stuff you're getting notification of. It's like he, talking to you guys is kind of like wow there's hope like there's not i mean it's not it's tangible it's not bullshit it's like real deal stuff to hear this because these are the things we need to be doing or we're going to be cut out of it completely i used to say it in training all the time guys if we don't embrace this kind of a change it's going to be forced upon us and when it's forced upon us it's going to cost more of our lives than anything else we, we've got we've got to come to the table and admit some of this stuff and you guys are yeah. a walking example of that so far right and i, I think I, you, you know my around the head there yeah, yeah go ahead Hey, so my my city is 13 miles from the Seattle city limits, and you can walk down Main Street of Algona, and you're going to see a thin blue line flag. You're going to see signs in the window that say support the police. The very same house on the other side, you're going to see Black Lives Matter, right? right. But you're going to see we support our police, right? And so don't, you know, that microcosm that is Seattle you're right. We we say reality starts at Seattle City Limits sometimes when we're talking about <laughs> police activity, right? And, and, you know, I'm going to get in trouble for saying that, but it, it, it's one of those things where, hey, uh, don't, you know, yeah, and some of this legislation starts on the streets of Seattle. But once you get outside there, people want police. They just want a little bit of change, like Marco said earlier. And, you know, to for me to walk as the police chief to walk down my small town Main Street and see those signs and, and my crew to see those signs, that means a lot. Like I don't have a lot of turnover, right? I don't get, you know, people don't want to leave here and it's because they have the support of their community. And that happens in a suburb of Seattle. Right. And I will tell you, I'm not an anomaly that happens in this area. The problem is you have the loudest voices, the minority that has the loudest voices that's what gets the clickbait and that's what people mm -hmm. see. Right. Right. Yeah, and right. I think right. a lot of that too, you know, has to do with, I mean, you, you see these very tragic incidences that happen, you know, and, you know, and inherently when, when, when these tragic incidents end in death, there's going to be emotions that are out there, you know, and, right. you know, one of the things that, that we have done uh, as a, as a law enforcement profession throughout history is, 
we don't do a very good job at communicating the the why and 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 how we right, got right, to this right, point you know right. and 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 you know that that whole narrative that we've always talked about of hey you need to trust us just because we're the professionals we're the police is gone we, right. we don't have that luxury anymore it's over. Right. you have right. to do better and explain why we train this way why we have these these uh, policies in place you know, just, just to give our communities peace of mind that we are not out there, um, you know, wanting to hurt individuals of our communities, you know? Did you, did you guys see a lot of turnover when this first started? Like Seattle was constantly being portrayed as like out of like completely out of control and all the police were hamstrung and none of the politicians supported you guys and were, you know, looking to get you guys more than they were the people that maybe were creating the problems. Did you guys see a lot of turnover, like people that just left and either went and left the profession or went to agencies that were better to police officers? I, I think Marco probably benefited from the craziness in Seattle. I didn't as much, right, because I don't have that much turnover. But what I, you, you know, another point I want to make, you guys talk about um, the community group seeing our perspective. You know, you talk about the trauma. They never really thought about the trauma that a police officer goes through for taking somebody's life. And when you have one of your brothers and sisters say that to the or tell their story to the community groups and you start to see tears in their eyes just because we're having those honest conversations, you'll have some of them say, you know, I never even thought about that, that it really weighs on because we're so dehumanized in the press. And those kind of things until you make that personal con- connection, right? And we've facilitated our brothers and sisters having those conversations so that people understand. And I know, you know, we're all tough guys and we're all A personalities, but sometimes you got to let your guard down and just say, hey, this is what weighs on you when you go home at night. Right. right? And, right. And, you know, so. This probably seems like a stupid question or redundant question, but have you guys made any significant changes to like how you get your public information out when you have critical incidents or, you know, things that are impacting the community? You, you know, I think I, I, you know, a lot more what we're seeing is, uh, you know, in, in different jurisdictions is, is you know, um, is the willingness to get information out quickly. And, you know, um, even we've seen, uh, you know, jurisdictions, you know, provide videos, you know, of and walking people through, uh, you know, high profile mm-hmm, instances, mm-hmm. you know, and, and it's important for that to be slowed down and shown to everybody because mm-hmm. again, it, knowledge is, knowledge is power, right? It, the knowledge yeah. is going to be what saves, you know, um, you know, heartache on a lot of these things where we were so used to and, and you know, back in the, you know, uh, before all this, where we just sit on information and don't provide anything and right. wait and wait and wait. And then it gives people the, the you know, um, you know, individuals, the reason to start questioning our tactics, you know, we, we have everything. to be out in front of it. Right. Yeah. Right. I mean, you look at what happened with Colin McDonald in Chicago, we sat on that video for years and that vacuum was filled with just hate and worse and it got worse and worse and then you look at what happened in columbus ohio in the last year where they had an officer that shot an unarmed man shot him and they quickly got the information out they quickly took action on the officer even the unions were kind of part of that and then fast forward to where they're involved in a situation where a 16 year old girl was shot by a police officer for the situations that they were dealing with they had built up a reservoir of trust so well that that a situation like that in most other cities would have 
caused that city to burn. Right. And they immediately released the video again, explained what was going on, did not wait for the right. information. And it ended in people being upset, but nowhere near the amount of damage and damage between the relationship of that. So it is true. It's about trust. It's about getting out there and just owning like, Hey, this one, we effed up this one. We had to do what we had to do as tough as it is. And, you know, the second one would have been much more horrific for people because it was a kid and things like that. But it was the way it was handled. You look at that and thought, although not everybody was happy, the vast majority of people after a summer of rioting and looting were, you know, all things mm -hmm. considered. So you're pointing. You, 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 you guys just hit this where we're at right now today. That is what we're working with. And I'm going to, you know, my fellow colleagues as administrators, they're not hip on the body cams. Right. And so there's a lot of resistance to body cams. One of the things the FOP pushes is supporting body cams. Yeah. And our conversations right now, literally today, yesterday, Monday, with community groups is about releasing video, not to be, not to not to push a narrative either way, just release the facts, right? right? And we're actually working through that with our community right now. That is mm -hmm. the front line out here as far as what we're trying to build, try to work together with our community right there. I've literally had three or four meetings this week on that topic and what the community groups want the exact same thing we want. We, they don't want us to fill that void with past criminal history, all right, this. Right, and, right, right. And, and we don't want them to vilify the police. We just want the facts and, and release the video and, right. and the video speak for itself, but you still have that old mentality. Oh, it's too expensive. Public disclosure. What do we do? What do we do? Cost, right? And hey, damn the cost. It's time to get every officer a body cam and let let the facts speak for themselves. Yeah, right. I mean, you're right. You're talking, you know, seven figure settlements here because the cities are Amen. burning. Like every business is out. Like we sit there and we look at this. And then if we go in and do anything to stop this from happening, the reservoir is so dried up that we go in there and we create more of a problem. Like when we stood in our rides, people were coming out, are you guys gonna do anything about this? I'm like, Man, this is property damage, and anything we do beyond this is going to make this even worse. And right. they couldn't believe it. And we've got to do a better job of explaining that to people so they can make educated decisions about making sure that the cops are involved. Right. 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 And, they, and, they, and then, you know, I think the faster you get it out there, the faster it's, you know, a lot of things are dissipated. Either it's, you know, if, if we made a mistake, we, you know, it's dissipated, it's, it's addressed, and it's done immediately, or if the bad guy was wrong, okay, it's, it's seen. And then, you know, all the up in arms are, are, are nothing more than, you know, they, they, you know, they either feel sorry or, or, but they're not going to, I don't just, you know, I don't, it's just not the, uh, you know, you know, burn the houses, take the shit, you know, the whole thing. It's just, it gets out there as a truth. And I think, you know, once the truth is out there, people accept it, it as tough as it is, but now it's there, you see it. You see it in real time, and you see the whole thing. Hell, we're learning that there were really actually F, uh, UFOs. <laughs> you know what I'm saying, like, we're actually learning that stuff. Why, you know, why can't we release a body camera? You know, um, let me ask you guys a question just off the beaten path about being cops in the Northwest. If you could describe what it's like to be a cop out there, like the work is the work, but there's the uniqueness of the area. A lot of people aren't aware of it. Is it a good place to go and work? You know, if you're looking for people and people are looking to make a move or there's a lot of movement going on in the country right now, what is it like to be a cop out there? Well, uh, me, for instance, I, I still love it. I love being a cop. I think that, um, you know, what better place to be able to make a difference in your communities than protecting those who, who you care about and those that, uh, that live in the same communities that we do. Um, you know, and, you know, 
you may hear in the media how things are bad and how things, you know, are just uh, doom and gloom. But the reality of, of is it, you know, of it is that we, you know, even though we've seen, you know, a lot of these changes or, 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 you know, evolutions, we still have a path forward. You know, we still have, you know, right. the best, the most noble profession in this country of being an American peace officer. And, you know, in Washington, you know, it, it's still, it's still a great place to work. It's still a great profession to, to be a part of because you do make a difference. Wow. It's good to hear. Compensation wise, it's pretty good too, from what I understand. It's not, national well. average, <laughs> national average is pretty high. Actually. It's, it's one of the, oh, is Washington, is it State. Well, Washington it's State was one of the top seven. It used to be one of the top seven in the country. Um, is it, yeah. Well, is that just because it's, is it, is it because it's the West coast, it's higher costs or just because they pay the people more? You know, I'm, you know, they understand through, uh, you know, our collective bargain agreements and, and interest arbitrations and things that, you know, it, it's important to be able to get, come to the table, you know, both uh, the city and, 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 you know, and peace officers to uh, find a solution on, on, a, on contracts, you know, and, um, you know, our area has been very successful with that. And, you know, we, we, we know that we have it very, very well when it comes to pay and benefits. And it's definitely not taken lightly. And we appreciate our cities and counties, our, our administrations for, for um, having that, you know, that courage and, and relationship to work with us to, to be able to provide for our families. So we're coming up on an hour and, uh, and I, and I kind of want to start wrapping up, but I, I want to ask you both just one, I want one more question. If you had the power or you had the means to sit with other departments, what would your message be and or how would you advise them to start working on bridging these communities? The message is to have the courage to engage, you know, um, you know, so often it's, it's when we, when we just, just inherently, you know, it's part of our, our, our human nature that when you, when you feel uh, attacked, you know, you feel um, like, uh, you know, somebody doesn't like you, you're going to gravitate to those who have the same way of thinking as you do. Right. Mm, right. And so you kind of isolate yourself. Well, this is not the time to isolate yourself. You know, when those things happen, now's the time to go across the aisle and, and, and communicate with those that maybe think differently than you, because you will find out that actually there's a lot more you have in common and yeah. the do that. Oh, I wouldn't you. doubt it. Right, yeah. right, absolutely. Right. Totally. totally. And, and I, I would just add this, take, leave the ego at the, at the door and, and come ready to have a good conversation, right? And, and just, you know, there's a perception out there about law enforcement, right? And we got we to gotta do our best to show them who we really are. So leave the ego, just come and go, hey, this is two human beings having a conversation, right? Yeah. And they're going to go, you know what? He's a dad and uh, he's a father, you know, he's a husband, Right. And one of the things I always do and Marco, Marco and I both do it is when we testify at a hearing um, or we meet with the community groups, we tell a story about a law enforcement officer. Right. I tell a story about a de-escalation. I mean, I'll just take a little newspaper clipping, little 10 second blurb, and I'll start my testimony talking about how an officer de-escalated the situation and was given a kudos. Or I'll take a letter that I received from the community about one of my troops. Marco talks about, you know, uh, uh, one of his officers receiving a life-saving award for doing something that was a little bit out of the norm. And part of that is 
humanizing, hey, we're humans, right? And we do that. And, and we've got a lot of positive feedback for doing that, telling our story in a respectful way. And so be respectful, leave the ego at the door and just be ready to roll your sleeves up and have and go to work. So I tell you guys, you're definitely, it's like, I got to tell you, I was like coming in the show going, yeah, well, let's see what they got to hear. You know, you're definitely, I think a lesson to the rest of the country and how to do these things, because, you know, you're definitely dealing with a unique group of people up there, but you know, you had a huge challenge and both of y'all sound like, you know, you got a lot of things done to really protect the profession and and hopefully more people nationally listen to you. That's for sure. Hopefully we can help you with that as well. I'm 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 going to start getting some emails to, you know, as many as many police officers as I can to get out to get this one out there. So, but I appreciate you guys taking the time. It's so, Absolutely. this is so important. Yeah, this is, this is so today. And this is going to, in my opinion, I think, you know, this type of atmosphere and this type of attitude and this type of uh, intestinal fortitude to move stuff forward is going to save a lot of lives everywhere. I really do. Definitely like to get out there and meet up with you guys. When's the best time of year to come out to the Northwest? Is it when it's not raining? So never. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Summertime, summertime, hey, summertime hey, for sure. Yeah. Time, right. I could send you now hotel hey, rates are cheapest. Hotel we, rates are cheapest. Uh, Seattle, I'll send you. <laughs> right, Scott. What'd you have? <laughs> I, Scott, what, what, Scott? I didn't hear what you said. What'd you say? <laughs> can we? Uh, can, can we stay at your house? Can like at your house? house? <laughs> 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 Marco's house is better than mine. I'm up in the <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I got plenty of room. Come on over. Yeah, that'd be great. Thank you so much. That's funny. Oh man. Well, thank you guys so so much. Yeah, and appreciate thanks it. Thanks a lot. Thank you guys. And then uh, anybody listening, uh, if you have any questions for any of them, you can email three cops talk at gmail.com. That's a number three cops talk at gmail.com. And then go to our website, uh, uh, three cops talk. Uh, dot com number three cops talk.com we're going to get a resource page um for everybody to start looking uh, being able to go to our guests and uh direct email them or get some information if needed and also please uh, where you get where you listen to your podcast download subscribe leave a rating review and i would also like to invite you guys that i think one of the shows that would be a good show to have both you guys and andre on uh for a round table to kind of like you know uh you know re- revisit this uh, subject and how everybody can move forward so i appreciate your time guys thank you so much thanks so much guys thank, thank you for, thanks for having us man. Appreciate it. Appreciate it. stay safe all right, and be safe please all right bye-bye